Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So it's wise intention. <laughs> I'm going to intend to like electronics one day. Um, right? What is it? What is wise intention in um, Buddhism? Right? What's the problem with it? Right? What's the difficulty? Um, and where do we find the call of our heart? What's the pull? What's the call of our heart? So, um, and really sharing this from um, this place of um, we're all a little broken, right? We're all a little broken. We're all magnificent, and we're all a little broken. And um, feeling this talk, receiving this talk from this place of beauty and perfection in each of you, and from the broken parts, the vulnerable parts, both. Yeah. So it's common in Buddhism, um, in centers around the world, in monasteries, to set an intention for practice, to take a vow, um, to align the mind in the direction um, that um, of your values, right, and of your desire for practice, a good desire. And so in monasteries, um, you'll see the nuns and monks will start the day um, setting an intention for wise speech, no harm in their um, community, right? And they end the day that way. They'll ask for forgiveness if they've said something to harm someone or hurt someone's feelings. Um, so in, in, in this tradition, we're generally setting intentions around skillful action, right? non-harm, leaning the mind towards tranquility and ease and calm, which is necessary for practice, for meditation, um, and wisdom practice seeing the truth of the way things are, not going into delusion or denial, right? Knowing um, the truth of what it means to be here now on this planet living as a human, right? So um, we also can set these noble intentions and make them at the forefront of our practice in our lives on a daily basis, even though we're not in a monastery. And of course in our culture this is the time for that resolution. Has anybody made resolutions yet? I've done them. I, st I, I won't admit that I do, right? And um, over the years I look back and giggle at those. Um, how many of those resolutions do we keep, right? Um, so the difficulty with a resolution or an intention is just in the fact of who is it that makes that resolution or intention, right? Who is it? Very often it's this critical self uh, that it's the underpinning is you're not good enough, you need to be better, come on, 
get in shape, right? Mm -hmm. You better lose those 10 pounds and eat healthy and start drinking those green drinks. And, right. <laughs> no more spending, right? No more spending, uh, you know, clean up your act. Um, I think my inner critic told me this morning I need to mop the floor more frequently, right? Um, so if your critic is pushing you to get better or to be a better self, right, there's already an aversion to self. Notice that there's already, you're not good enough, it's not good enough. So it's already starting with aversion. And aversion is a hindrance in our practice. And you just know it when you're trying to push yourself through a critical voice. The body tightens, there's tension, holding. It's almost like you're working against yourself. Yeah? So setting an attention from you're not good enough and you better get better to be okay is really another form of suffering uh, and delusion. Yeah? There's aversion in it. <coughs> The other problem um, is um, setting a resolution or an intention to have a better self-image, right? I need to be a better me, I need to look better, I'm building this castle in the sand of me, of who I think I am. I'm building a self that doesn't really exist in Buddhism, you know, there is no better me. And while I think it's healthy to um, take on healthy lifestyle and healthy changes, this belief that I can be a better version of myself, does that ever work? It's never gotten me anywhere <laughs> other than a little more suffering. And um, the last one I would say is um, this very American like type A personality more, do more, more, fill your schedule, get more, do more, take another class, right? Do another sport, get, lower your heart rate, pump up your muscle, buy another thing, right? Get a better car, get better relationships, right? With this driven nature in resolution, in intention, right? Be a better Buddhist. Oh, there's real suffering in that one, right? <laughs> Be a better spiritual person. <laughs> I think that's why people drink too. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, so, um, so we're really trying to aim today at the call of the heart to get out of the mind, right? The mind that has all these ideas about how I could suffer less and be better and avoid suffering in my life as if I could, right? To this call, this place of deep intention that springs from the heart, from deep listening. It's an embodied intention. And where does it come from? Generally, the call of the heart comes from the suffering of the heart, the vulnerability from deep feeling, from a wound 
from pain. And in, in, in our practice, in mindfulness practice or Buddhist practice, whatever, however you want to um, identify it, <coughs> that very suffering, that vulnerability, that pain is actually the doorway into the light. It's the doorway to the path. It's your doorway. Rumi says, a rose's rarest essence lives in the thorn. The moon stays bright when it doesn't avoid the night. So your call of the heart is in the deep night. It's in the thorn. I discovered this as you all do, right? Everybody has. Everybody knows this. Um, myself, about a year or two ago, um, I was having a conversation in here with one of you, and I'll come back to that. And I noticed that, and the person that I was talking to is very present and receptive, so that always helps when somebody loans you kind awareness, yeah? Um, but all of a sudden, something shot up from almost from my belly, from in the core of my being, through the heart, of a deep desire to practice differently, right? To let go of something. And it really lit up and energized my practice for the year and gave it focus and direction. And so, when that deep call comes, so do the factors of awakening. Mindfulness, concentration, energy, joy, rapture, equanimity. All those things come with it. They naturally rise up. When the heart calls, um, it's almost like the universe calls with you and supports you. Have you had that experience? beautiful experience, the energy comes right up from the soul to support this journey. And a few people recently have told me about this heart's call, and I'm going to give you a few examples that, I, that came to me as beautiful little holiday gifts. Um, one friend was telling me um, about his family um, they have a beautiful, rich culture. There's lots of sisters and brothers, six or seven of them um, from South America, and it's beautiful to get together on the holiday. There's um, wonderful traditional food and music and laughter, and loves his family, loves his family, but some of the siblings are not doing so well in that family, and they don't always behave well at these gatherings. Lots of grandchildren and great-grandchildren, just lovely, wonderful celebrations. But they can also be painful. There, could, there is also um, acting out in the family and suffering some addiction problems and you know, 
things going wrong, as they do in families. Have things gone wrong in your families? <laughs> so um, he had just gotten a book, uh, the Rick Hansen's book, yeah? Um, and um, in that book, and the name of the book will come, come out, it will come to me, uh, he talks about the negativity bias which is that minds, because of evolutionary process, tend to really stick and hold onto a negative experience. Yeah? We call that Velcro, right? Um, and that's why when you could be having a great day, but somebody says one negative thing, you're on it all day, it stays with you. That's that negativity bias. And the good things, the happy things, sometimes we're diluted. We don't even notice our, what's going well, the abundance, the gifts we have, the greatness, the sweetness, right? It just goes right by like, belt, like Teflon, as we say. Right? And so Rick Hansen writes about this in the book, and, and he had just gotten that book. And he realized, ah, you know, I go to these holiday celebrations, and one sibling does something wrong or says something, and I have lost the beauty of this family. It's gone. The sweetness, we made it, we emigrated, we had nothing. Right? We worked hard, it was tough, we lived in bad neighborhoods, and a lot of us made it, and we're, we're happy. And yet, you know, right, that one thing happens, and um, he's contracted and angry for weeks on end. So what was his call of the heart? His call of the heart was to see the aversion rising, right? As it was rising, and to put it down, to mm. let go, mm. right? To release it, to release his own suffering. Beautiful intention for the year. And that's what he said, I'm intending to see my negativity bias wherever I am, with my family, at work, right? I'm, I'm intending to see aversion as it arises. And my attachment to wanting things the way I want them, right? My self-view that gets me so contracted, tight, and angry. And then I walk around with an angry story. When all this other wonderful stuff and, and beauty and, and um, privilege is happening around me, but I'm not there because I'm in my aversion, holding on and grasping to the way I want people to be. Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> not alone? <laughs> okay. So I thought that was one beautiful gift of an intention, right? Negativity bias and seeing aversion as aversion arises. Another one um, that happened a few days later was a conversation um, with a friend of mine who um, experienced, as um, many of us have, a death in the family. So, um, a dear loved one died of cancer this year, someone very close. This happens. Um, it's happening all the time. And um, she... Um, also has a daughter that um, had a lot of problems as an adult and really didn't get her life together real well. Another example, similar. And um, they had their holiday and she realized that 
she spends the holiday um, wishing, and this took some honesty on her part, that her daughter was a different daughter so she could feel better as a mother. And um, also kind of walking on eggshells because the daughter wasn't showing up as the daughter she wanted her to be. And so there was always like a little sadness, tension, tightness, um, control, pushing. And she said her intention that came from her heart after experiencing a loss is, I am just going to be present with the people I love as they are in this moment, and I am going to enjoy it fully. And she said, you know, for the holiday, they did nothing fancy. They baked cookies, they played board games, they sat around the fire, right? Just simple things, took a walk. She said, the difference was, I was here. I was here without needing anyone to be other than who they are. I was here. Beautiful intention of the heart. What a gift to everyone. And when I remember when she told me that, I just felt my toes curl up. It was so powerful, right? I was here, present. The third gift of wise intention came as a, a present. Someone gave me a book. A family member gave me a book. Um, and I will um, tell you the name of the book um, in the newsletter, because I meant to bring the book in, I apologize. It's a very difficult story of a young woman um, who lives in our area, actually. I think she lives in Orange County. Uh, suffered horrible abuse as a child um, and um, wound up in a mental institution, foster care, on the streets. Just, Difficult, difficult journey. The book was so hard to read, so painful. And then into um, drug addiction and prostitution. It's just a rough life. And she spares no pain on the page. It's their suffering reading it. It's, it is a difficult read. Um, one of the most painful books I've ever read. Um, and... Um, she makes it through into um, freedom from drug addiction, off the street, out of prostitution. It's an amazing story. And um, manages to get a career and an education. And Amazing story, yeah. But what's more amazing about this story is somewhere along the line, she becomes a foster mother for girls who went through what she went through. She was able to open her home and give back. How did that happen? Mm. Right? This is another form of wise intention. And in the book, um, what you see is this quality of her 
deeply listening to her heart, deeply committed to listening to meditation, to checking into prayer, a form of prayer, and almost allowing herself to be guided into service from her own compassion and caring for those who suffer like her. So I add this one because for many of us, it's also a time where we are called into service. Yeah? It's a rough time in our, uh, in our community, in our country, and we may have to find the um, deep intention to serve. So I was very moved by her book, and not only did she go on to uh, take in many, many foster children. I don't remember the number, it was a large number, into her home and you know, feed them, clothe them, mentor them. She went on to um, forming organizations to help foster children once they became 18. You know, you're kind of kicked out to give them um, shelter, education, job training, place to go. And then she opened up a couple of centers for, for runaway kids and foster children. All this came out of that dark place, right? That original wound. Where did it come from? The worst pain and vulnerability. So I offered those as examples. In the, in the second example, um, with my friend and her daughter, she, her reflection to me was, that opened the gate of her heart, was just knowing the impermanence in her life with loved ones and really being present with that. That opened her heart, that was the doorway that opened her heart to this experience of the holiday. My other friend, it was his heart, seeing his heart close with aversion that shut his heart. And in seeing that, he was able to open it in another way. And in the third example, out of the deepest wound came the greatest compassion and the energy to serve others. And it wasn't, I didn't get a sense it was her pusher, like, go at it. It was just love that carried her, right? Being open and doing the next thing out of love. Wendy, the first book, I think, was Buddha's Brain. Buddha's Brain, yes. Or Hardwiring Happiness is latest one. Yes, yes. So I'll end with some Rumi. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill where two worlds touch. The door is round and open. 
Don't go back to sleep. There is a way between voice and presence where information flows. In disciplined silence, it opens. With wandering talk, it closes. So we'll have some time to work with this call of the heart, this intention. This place where creativity, kindness, strength, opening to a new way of seeing, possibility, service, where we drop this egoic kind of me, me, me building. I happen to love that, but we drop it, I admit. As we drop into what is the call of your heart? Where is your heart? And uh, we've brought some um, paper markers for journaling and some things to lean on if you need. And you can either write quietly, you can draw, draw symbols, um, write anything that comes out. It doesn't have to make sense to you. It could be gibberish. What is the call of your heart? And together we'll set this wise intention for our year, whatever our year is, right? We'll show up for it. With compassion, with caring, with wisdom, with strength, with resolve. And we will not avoid our suffering or the truth. Our suffering is the doorway. A rose's rarest essence lives in the thorn. So taking a moment to just close your eyes for a moment or two, and then we'll move into our writing exercise or drawing exercise.
You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.